in the American space program towards the late 1950s, 1960s. Indeed, actually, I'll get this right, Gordon Cooper was the very first bloke to spend 24 hours in space. That is who Gordon Cooper is, one of the very first ever astronauts. Now, much later in Gordon Cooper's life, what he did, he decided that he was going to write a book, and he was going to write a book about this very first journey that he had into orbit. And in the book, Gordon Cooper writes about the night before the trip. (laughs) Now, you've got to try and engage with me, try and engage with that for a moment. Imagine that, right? The night before you're about to head into outer space. So you can imagine what he's writing about. He's writing about all the technicalities and the preparations that go into this. You know, the suit's got to be checked, right? Okay. The shuttle, thankfully, is going to be checked. But Gordon Cooper goes on to write about this overwhelming, overpowering sense of trepidation that he felt that night. And you can get it, I suppose. I mean, imagine it. You know, the time had come. Okay, it wasn't like it wasn't theoretical anymore. You know, he was on the eve of going into space. You know, and who knows what's ahead of him? Who knows what he's going to find? After all, he's one of the first guys to ever do this. So it's no wonder he entitles this book, A Journey into the Unknown. A journey into the unknown, because that's what it was, right? Let's face it. Well, as we turn to the book of Numbers again this morning, I reckon that that's what we've got to realize is happening right now. Because you know, I know the context, do we? The people of Israel, come on, let's get it right, they are camped, and they've been considering this journey to Canaan to the promised land. This is what I need you to understand right now, that the time for departure was nigh. The time to get off was kind of here. Think about where we are. Look at where you are. Look at, we're in halfway through chapter 9. Where, when did they set off? They set off in chapter 10, right? So the time is that. So like Gordon Cooper, we could excuse the people of God. If there is this sense of anxiety, this sense, this atmosphere of tension and trepidation amongst the camp, after all, now here, the people of God are about to set off on their own journey into the unknown. Now, in this section of scripture that we've got here, God does a couple of things. What God does is he comforts his people and he then challenges his people. There's comfort and challenge. And since, friends, given the the New Testament book of Hebrews tells you, if you're a Christian, you are on a similar journey. We are on wilderness wanderings. Then I anticipate and I pray that by his grace, God would do similar things with us in here this morning. So, with these things set out before us, can I invite you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 9, okay? So to have this section of Scripture open in front of you will no doubt benefit you to have God's Word here. So this is Numbers 9 from verse 15. Let me give you the page number. That's on page 118. And I know the kids have got their worksheets, but if mums and dads, if you could also make sure that they can have one eye on the portion of Scripture as well. So Numbers 9 before us. And this morning, let me just tell you how we're going to uh, approach things. That in a way this morning, what I want to happen and what I hope will happen is that the, the section of Scripture will dictate the structure of the sermon. You with me? So in this section of Scripture, God gives us these two main themes 
And so our sermon is going to be structured accordingly. We're going to have two main headings that follow those two main themes. Okay, so the structure of the sermon following the structure of Scripture. And the first thing that you need to think about and I need to think about is this. Comfort from God's presence. That's our first heading. Comfort from God's presence. Okay, will we get into Numbers chapter 9? Yeah. Okay, now, pretty sure everyone in the room... We understand that the focal point for us right here is this cloud that we're talking about in Numbers 9, right? We, we get this as the focal point. It's the cloud that appears over the appears during the day. And it, you notice as well that it's a cloud that appears as fire at night. So that's our focal point. Now, before we actually think about the meaning of this cloud, I just want to briefly mention the actual placement of this cloud and the placement of this section of scripture actually see can i ask you just to look at the opening verse look at verse 15 and i wonder if you notice the chrono- chronological easy for me to say chronological uh, time reference or marker in verse 15 do you we read it do you see so when does the cloud descend the cloud descends on the day that the tabernacle was set up now friends you're with me you certainly should be if you you've been here for the sermon series what does that tell you what does it tell you it tells you that this section of scripture is chronologically out of place doesn't it now, this section numbers 915 to the end of the chapter doesn't chronologically belong here if it happens on the day that the tabernacle was set up this happens before the other material that we've looked at in the book of numbers now if you're with me there that this is chronologically out of step what do you ask we ask God, why have you, not just why have you not put it in its in a, in a correct place, but why have you placed it here? Like, why doesn't God put it in numbers two, three, four, five? Why is it that God places this section, this cloud coming down at this very point? Let me suggest to you two really brief answers to that question, okay? Why is the cloud here? Why the section here? Number one, it is about symmetry. Beautiful perfect symmetry think about the history of israel what happens at the exodus come on the people flee they're delivered aren't they they're brought out of egypt exodus 12 they come out of egypt what happens immediately in exodus 13 god meets them how in a cloud do you see it what's the sequence there in exodus 12 13 passover cloud Passover cloud. And now chronologically, one year later, what do we get into Numbers chapter 9? Do you see how beautiful it is? Come on, it's surely not just me that thinks it's beautiful. Here, one year later, chronologically, again, we've got God puts before us Passover cloud. Passover cloud. The other reason I think is here, one of the other reasons I think is here, uh, is basically for a sense of completion. I wonder if you're appreciating this, that what we're dealing with today is the end of a much larger section of Scripture. Do you appreciate that? What do we know? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fine. But what I want you to think about is that there's a section of Scripture, a chunk of Scripture, that runs from Leviticus chapter 1 all the way right through to Numbers 9 verse 14. You could look at that thematically as a chunk of Scripture. Why? All of that deals with tabernacle 
stuff, doesn't it? Tabernacle material, Leviticus, right into Numbers, dealing with the priest, sacrificial system, dealing with the, the, the Levites and so on. So do you see what, what sits either side of that chunk of scripture? Come on, friends, you know scripture. What, what, what precedes Leviticus 1? How does the book of Exodus end? Exodus chapter 40, what comes down? The cloud of God comes down. There, same here. Do you see what God is doing? There is an inclusio. God brackets off the tabernacle material and he does it here for a sense of completion. And I know it's technical, first thing on a Sunday morning, but it's not just me that sometimes surely you're the same. Not just the content of scripture, but even the way God arranges scripture sometimes brings us to a point where we praise our living God. So we see placement, okay? Now, this is what we've got to do. We've got to get to the big question, the main question here. What's that? What does the cloud signify? We see why it's here in a sense, but what is this cloud? Why is it? What does it mean? What does it signify for us? Well, I think this, I think if this morning you and I had got up early... (laughs) And if we had read right sequentially through Scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, if we'd read right through Scripture like that, I don't think anyone in the room would be left in any doubt whatsoever about what this cloud signifies and what it means. I think if we'd done that this morning, every single one of us in this room would know that this cloud is what we would call a theophany. Do you know the word? We would know if we read through Scripture, this cloud signifies for us, symbolizes for us the presence of the one almighty eternal creator God. This cloud, this fire at night, this symbolizes God. And in fact, I think you recognize that, don't you, friends? Think about it. Cloud and fire. Moses and the burning bush. Yes, the presence of almighty God, right? What did we just say? Exodus chapter 13. God is a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. It's God. What does God say to Moses? God says he is going to do descend to Mount Sinai, God is going to come down. And he says to Moses, I'm going to come down as a thick cloud. And then what does God say to his people? How does he describe himself? He is the one who is a consuming fire. You get it, don't you? This cloud, this fire represents, it pictures for us, this is God. And then if you get that, do you not see what the Almighty God is doing at this point here in Numbers chapter 9? Do you see As this cloud descends before the people, as it envelops the tabernacle, what is God saying to his covenant community? He's saying, not just you are to travel to Canaan. He is saying, I am going to go with you. As this cloud envelops the tabernacle, God is saying, I am going to journey with you and journey with you to the promised land. Now, fine. But what, if anything, is the relevance of this to London City Presbyterian Church? Is there any relevance of this to your life? Well, I think there is. I fundamentally think there is. But I think you have to do something with me before we see that relevance. What I would ask you to do is take this image of a cloud and this fiery cloud. Take the image and would you walk with me into the New Testament scriptures. Do you see it? You take the cloud, you walk with me into the New Testament. Now, why would we do that? Listen, I think if we do that, this image you have this morning before you that God shows you in Numbers 9, it will illumine for you more of the identity, more of person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. This image will show you who Jesus is. Will you walk with me? Walk with me, first of all, to the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, friends, do you know this story, the Mount of Transfiguration? You do, don't you? Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he ascends this mountain and he goes up with Moses or he meets Moses and Elijah and they converse. But I ask you, what happens? What happens? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is there, what happens? Yes, the cloud of the Almighty God comes down and envelops them. And what does this indicate? It indicates surely that there, because Christ is there, the tabernacle of God is there. This Christ on this mountain, the very place of the presence of the Almighty God dwelling with his people. And let's not finish there. Let's keep walking. Now you walk with me to Acts chapter 1. Do people in here, do we know the ascension story of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well again, I ask you, what happens at the ascension? So Jesus is there with the disciples, and before the disciples' eyes, Jesus suddenly goes up into the sky, doesn't he? How does Jesus go up into the sky? What is his mode of transport? Jesus ascends in a cloud, indicating again for you something of who Jesus is. This is God himself. And if you're sitting in this church just now and you are still not convinced by this theme and this this idea here, I would ask you to consider very carefully Matthew 26. Jesus Christ stands before the high priest. He stands before Caiaphas. And Jesus says at that moment to Caiaphas, I am going to return one day. And Jesus then says, I am going to return and return in the clouds. And I ask you, what does Caiaphas do? Caiaphas at that moment enraged. He rents his garments. He tears off his robe. And why? Because as a biblically literate Jew, he understood. He knew what Jesus was claiming. He knew that Jesus Christ by this cloud was claiming to be divine and claiming to be God. Now, at that moment, surely we can see application. We can see that we should be, as Christians, emboldened for the Christian life. Because I ask you, what do you know to be true for us? In here, as the New Testament, people of God, what is true for us? Think of it and rejoice. Not only at Pentecost has God descended and rested on us in the appearance of fire. But think about the Great Commission. Think about what God in the person of the Son has said to you. And I say, is it not this promise of the cloud in Numbers 9, but given to you directly in a more colorful and in-depth way, because what does God the Son say to you? He promises you, I am with you. I am with you always to the very ends of the age. And if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I am pleading with you, imploring with you, just to linger on that. And just to consider what it means, in this journey you face throughout life, God repeatedly says to you, he promises you, you're not going out alone. You are not alone. God says to you, I am with you in Christ Jesus. And for the young ones in here, for the kids, do you see what that means? It means as you go into school, if you're trusting in Christ Jesus today, you go into school or you interact with your friends, and we know as adults sometimes that's really difficult. Especially as a Christian, really difficult, really trying. What's, what's true? God is with you. Even in that circumstance, God with you for that leg of the journey. And then for the rest of us, what about us? 
What's your situation today in this journey through life? Are you facing the difficult terrain of unemployment as a Christian? Is that you? Or maybe you're facing, and I know some are hostile enemies on this journey because of your Christian faith. Others of you facing an insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable ravine of sickness, illness, disease. What is true for us, though? You're not alone. By his Holy Spirit, Christ is with you. God is with you. Friends, we have to be so careful to make sure that we get the gospel right. Remember what we've said before, it is not just that God forgives our sins and says, I'll see you later, I'll see you in heaven. No, we have so much more to rejoice in today. Because what do we know for us? The cloud has descended. God is with us and with us for our journey into the unknown. So we see comfort, do we not? Here, comfort in God's presence. The second of the two headings this morning, we see challenge. And we see challenge from God's direction. Challenge, everyone got it? Challenge from God's direction. (coughs) Now I know um, this is true of us. I know that lots of people at LCPC have at some point in their life, and a lot of you in recent times, you've spent some time traveling. There's a lot of people in our congregation that have spent time uh, traveling. Perhaps it's even true of you that you've spent time in your life traveling, but traveling with a friend, not just a group of people, but you've gone traveling throughout your life uh, with a friend. If you've done that, you know that dynamic can be really different depending on the character of your friend. Isn't that right? Like, it's one thing if you go travel with a friend who's really passive, you know, who's just there along for the ride, not giving much in the way of help for organization for your traveling, right? That's one thing. And if you've done this, you you know it's another thing altogether. If your friend, if your friend not only helps you, but actually takes the lead on stuff, isn't that totally, that's a different ballgame, right? If your friend will take the lead with organizing where you go and your transport, your accommodation, like those things are poles apart, like totally different. Now, I think genuinely that is a distinction that you have to appreciate when we're dealing with Numbers chapter 9. Does everyone follow what I'm saying to you? Like, what is God promising in Numbers 9? He's not just promising his people that he is traveling alongside them. He's not just promising he'll be with them. Do you see how it's different? Numbers 9. God is actually promising that he is going to lead his people. He's going to direct. Now everyone gets it. Like everyone, from the youngest to the oldest. You must have noticed what happens with the cloud. Does it just descend and that's it? It doesn't, does it, right? The the cloud ascends and that is the marker, the indicator for the people to set off. God is directing the time that they depart and then the cloud descends and that's the time, isn't it, that the people stop and they they can't. Do, do, Do you all follow? You do, Right. God, not just with the people, but directing the people. Now, I struggle with this a little bit because for a long time wrestling with the text, I thought that that's the main theme here, right? God's directing the people. God is leading his people on. That's where we need to focus. And then I noticed it. I wonder if you did as well. There is actually a formula in this text that God repeats three times in order to show us what the main theme of this portion of Scripture is. Will you look at it if I give it to you? Look at verse 18 to see the formula. You can see it again, I think, verse 20, 23 as well. Now, do you see what's said 
Now think about the main theme. Think about how it works out here. So is it just that God directs his people? Listen to it. So at the command of God, what's the formula? The people set out. At the command, they camped. At the command, the people set out. At the command, they camped. So what's the emphasis? What's the main stress here? It is not just that God directs the people. What's the main emphasis? The main emphasis of this text is that the people obeyed. Not just God leading the people. The main emphasis here is these people see that and they obey God. Now, because that is so, that main emphasis of this text, because it is so pertinent to your life, Christian friends, what I want to do is just get my highlighter pen out and just mention, just highlight one or two elements of this obedience that you need to pay attention to, as do I. So you're with me for the first one is this. We see here that it is joyful obedience to God's direction. It's joyful. See, um, if you're new to London City Presbyterian Church or you're visiting us, we've um, got in the church quite a number of teachers in the congregation and quite a number of lecturers. I won't name them all, but we've got Brad and Harris and myself and, and Hannah and Ayla and the list goes on, right? Lots of teachers and, and lecturers are people who do some of, some of that stuff. Now, if any teacher in the world will tell you If a student or a pupil is enthused about a topic, that enthusiasm will show itself in the work that they produce. I know that the teachers would agree with us. And I think maybe we can even remember it from our education as well. Like, you know it, right? You give, you give a pupil or a student a dry, boring topic that they have no care for. You know what you're going to get back. You're going to get a piece of work that is just, just Two-dimensional, it's rubbish. You know, it's dry and it's boring. But if you give a student something that they're really into and enthused, you see it. Doesn't that enthusiasm come forth in the writing? Suddenly the writing is energetic and it's embellished and it's elaborate. Now, I've not lost my mind. I want you to appreciate that that's what's happening in your hands right now. Now, it might, you could say, maybe it doesn't come forward so clearly in your English Bible, but I need you to appreciate that from verse 17 onwards, there's a change, and suddenly the prose in the section of Scripture suddenly becomes really elevated. And like it's almost kind of out of nowhere, kind of poetic in form. In fact, if you look at it with me, you'll see it. I'll try and show you it. So look from verse 17 onwards. Now, remember what I'm saying to you. Moses is fundamentally in that section. He's saying one phrase. (laughs) All he's saying is the people obeyed God's direction. But look at it. Like he takes six full verses or seven full verses just to say that one thing. And we've already mentioned that he's using this sort of flowery repetition of this formula. You can notice, I think the Hebrew parallelism comes through. There's loads and loads. In fact, this is where it gets really exciting, I think. Really interesting. So many of the commentators here, they say that because this is so rhythmic, you can even see it when you're, you're reading it, it's rhythmic, you know, it's, it's moving on. Because of that, so many commentators say this is no doubt taken from an existing Israelite song. And some of the commentators say this, that section of scripture is surely taken from a song that people would have sung as they are following direction from this, this cloud. As they're traveling to Canaan, singing this material. Now, do you see how exciting that is? Do you see what it tells you? These people are not just obeying this cloud, not just obeying God's command. What are they doing? They're delighting to obey God. I mean, they're just 
cherishing the idea. They're singing about the idea that they can follow God's direction and follow. It's joyful. They're joyous that they get to follow God. And I have to, at this point, bring this to your door and to your life, if you're a Christian. And I have to ask you, does that sound like you just now? I mean, does it, Christian friend? This idea of not God just directing you, but you delighting to follow God's direction. And I know what you could say back to me. You say, well, it's easier for them, right? They've got a cloud to follow. We don't, right? You don't open your window in the morning and there's a cloud that directs you all the way through your, your existence that day. But I would say back to you on that, surely God has done for you something much more special. How does God direct you today? He's given you this. He's given you his book. He's given you his word. He's given you scripture where God does direct you through all circumstances of your life. So friend, what are we like as a congregation? Are we looking to God? Are we looking to this cloud, looking for direction? And are we delighting to do that? So it is joyous obedience. We have to understand that. A second thing to highlight here is the fact that incredibly patient obedience as well. Really patient Can I just draw your attention to a little detail in the text, please? If you look at verse 22 with me, parents, please show your kids verse 22 as well. Perhaps you see that there's this, well, let's go for the crescendo idea, because it's there, isn't it? Do you see how there's this building up? You see what's happening here? So the cloud sometimes lingers. (laughs) So you're in the camp, imagine, the cloud lingers, and in verse 21... Sometimes that happens for one night. And then do you see how it, there's a crescendo? Like the writer then, Moses tells us then, I bet sometimes it, that cloud lingered for two nights. And then going to verse 22, sometimes, think about it, sometimes God kept them on this journey to Canaan. Sometimes God kept them waiting for a month, can't? Sometimes for a year. Now, I'm asking you, Christian friend, just to try and picture yourself in that circumstance there. Like you think about how unsettling, in a sense, everything has been for us. You know, if you were there, you've just been delivered out of slavery. Imagine the chaos of that, but the jubilation of being set free. And you've got this promise. You're going to be settled really soon. You've got this promised land ahead of you. And and then suddenly you're, you're setting off. Imagine you're with your friends and your family and you're just delighting to get to this place. You're getting to Cana. And then what happens? The cloud comes down and you're camped for a month. Like any indication of, of, of going forward. Can you imagine what that would be like? What would you be doing in that circumstance? If you're there, you're tearing your hair out, right? Aren't you? And you're crying, you're crying out to God and you say, well, what are you doing? Like, I want to get to Canaan. I want to get there. Why are you keep waiting, God? Why are you doing this? Why are we camped in this valley? But here's the reality, I think. You perhaps this morning do not need to imagine the situation in the ancient world. Because perhaps it is as a Christian this morning, that is exactly how you feel today. Is it? Exasperated with where God has you at this point in your journey through life. Just despairing, crying out to God, why am I here? Like crying out to God, saying, like, why is there no progress being made? God, what are you thinking? Why am I here? If you are even tempted to think like that, you must remember the main theme of Numbers chapter 9. Because what do the people do? 
What do they not do? They don't take matters into their own hands, do they? They don't decide, well, the cloud hasn't moved, so I'm going to carry on going. What do they do? They continue patiently to wait on the Lord their God. Even if they are frustrated, they continue to look to God, and they do so in complete trust. It is joyous obedience, but it is also patient obedience. And then the last of these this morning, we see also, or we know also, that it's failed obedience. Here, we are closing. We are closing. I would just ask you to think about the military, just for a second, the military. Because we, we all know what it's like. We've all seen that idea of soldiers who are waiting for their deployment orders to come through. <laughs> right? We've seen that on TV or in a film or read about it, haven't we? We, we can picture what that's like. The soldiers in their barracks. You know, and they're waiting to find out where they're going to be sent, but they're a bit frustrated, and they're just a bit waiting for a while. And what do they do? Like, what are they going to be doing? I don't know what they're going to be doing, because thankfully I've not been in that circumstance. But they're playing cards, right? They're waiting. Or some of them are exercising. Some of them may be getting up to no good, but they're waiting, and they're active. Well, yeah, we see at various points that the people of God are kept waiting, sometimes for a month, but you are actually told their activity and what they do as they wait. You could pass it by, but look at verse 19 with me. What do the people do? Are they playing cards? Are they exercising? What do they do? Verse 19. It says they kept the charge of the Lord, or they kept the Lord's watch. Now, I wonder if you see what the idea is there. The idea is, as these people waited for the cloud to ascend, these people were on sentry duty. That's it. Keeping the Lord's watch. As they're waiting for God to say, let's go, what do the people... It wasn't just the Levites. It was all of the people of Israel who were guarding the camp against sin, guarding themselves against sin. And I'm pretty sure you can see that there's relevance to your life and to my life there. Are you in that situation where you're frustrated with the lack of progress and this journey through life, frustrated with God, you see your activity there. What do you do as a Christian? You focus all of your energy in guarding the camp against sin, fighting your impurity. We could rest in that. This is how I want to end our sermon this morning. I want to end by bringing all of us down to earth with a bit of a bump. Would you agree with your minister that it is an upbeat portion of spirit if you think about it thematically? It really is, isn't it? God promises his people his presence. God promises to direct the people, and the people are obeying God's direction. Isn't that upbeat, do you think? So here's the reality. What do you know about the book of Numbers? We're not going to cover it in this sermon series. What do you know happens next? Hmm? Very soon the people are going to turn against God. This looks beautiful. It looks like there's perfect obedience, doesn't it? But very soon the people are going to ignore the cloud. And they're going to want to turn back to Egypt. Very soon the people are going to begin to grumble against God. Very soon this camp is going to be filled with immorality, impurity, and sin. And I can state to you, if you're a Christian, you know that is true of you. Don't you? You know that's true of me. We travel through this life, and what is the characteristic sin as we journey through this life. Isn't that Christian friend? What does the psalmist say about us? Sin 
ever before us as we journey through life. So maybe you see what it is that you need to do every step of your journey through life. What do you need to do on a daily basis? Christian friend, you need to remind yourself of the gospel. As you journey through the life, you need to remind yourself of just what God has done for you. And what is it? What has God done? Because we are incapable of perfect obedience. For his church, the cloud has descended. Because we are filled with sin, God has come amongst us in the person of his son. And he has done what we cannot do. And the Lord Jesus Christ, for you, Christian friend, has already journeyed through this life. Do you see it? He's done it without sin. He has traversed trial, testing. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone into the wilderness for you. He has fought the most hostile of enemy for you. He has done it perfectly in full obedience to God. He's done it without sin. And why? All to earn, all to secure entrance for you into that promised land ahead. Isn't it good news? Christian friend, there is comfort abounding in this portion of scripture and challenge. I do wonder if you just permit me one last thought, and it's to those people in the room who are not professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You permit me one last thought for those people. If that's you, please listen to me. Just one last question, if you're not trusting in Jesus, where was the cloud? Where was the cloud? How do you answer it? You see, it has descended and it envelops the tabernacle. Yeah. The cloud was amongst the people of Israel. There was no cloud for the Canaanites. There was no cloud for the Perizzites. No cloud for the Amorites. And surely you see there's meaning there for you. Unless you are numbered with the children of God through repentance and faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things are true of you right now. One, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is not with you on this journey through life. And outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, your destination is not the promised land of heaven above. In light of those two really solemn, really grave truths, you surely see what you need to do today. You need to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to act. You need to move. You need to repent of your sin. You need to come to Jesus Christ. Who is he? He is the one who has perfectly obeyed. And he is obeyed to bring his people home to be with him in heaven above. Friends, let us bow our heads and let us pray. Gracious Father God, we do thank you that the cloud... It has descended. We thank you so much that you are with your people always to the very ends of the age. We do thank you that you direct us, that you lead us by your Holy Spirit. You rest upon us with your favor that is undeserved. And as always, how we pray, Lord God, that you would awaken souls to see the great work that Christ has done on behalf of his people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.